Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is running physical therapist, run coach, podcast host, founder of Spark Healthy Runner, Dr. Dwayne Scotty. He is here today to teach us about plantar fasciitis and also a whole lot more as all of these conversations with physical therapists or most of my guests tend to go. You are going to learn about plantar fasciitis and what to do about it and how it happens and why it happens, but also like those little nuggets of things that are just thrown in in conversation to a specific topic that connects to a larger issue or topic or just how your body works yeah this is one of those conversations um Dwayne is an absolute wealth of knowledge this was an absolute fascinating conversation to have and it's always fun for me when I genuinely learn new things from my guests especially one as knowledgeable as Dwayne has been doing this for over 20 years he knows what he's talking about and we even delve into other conversations or other topics side conversations about things like carbon plate shoes and orthotics and all those things that are yes technically related to our discussion about plantar fasciitis but like I said kind of Uh, draw a wider circle around this topic. So I know that plantar fasciitis is one of the most pernicious and persistent running injuries that you can pick up. And we'll talk about why that is, but also what to do about it, right? That's the thing. Not only just why it happens, what causes it, what can I do to help make this better? So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Dwayne Scotty. Dr. Dwayne Scotty, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. I am super pumped to be here, Elizabeth. Thank you so much uh, for having me. So all my guests have to go through the gauntlet of this question. Tell us, how did you become a runner? Well, I definitely am what you consider an adult onset runner. Um, Never really ran uh, besides sports uh, as a kid. I grew up as a dancer. Uh, That's actually how I met my wife at dance school. And going through physical therapy school, uh, started learning a lot about muscles and anatomy, kinesiology, kind of put it into practice in the gym, and then became a gym runner, I'll call myself, where I ran on the treadmill for cardio, you know, to lean down. And, you know, I did that for about 10 years, uh, maybe like into my career. And um, besides that, never ran outside. And then I wound up having hip surgery. So I had a labral tear in my hip had a little arthroscopy procedure. My surgeon after that, you know, I was a little kind of in this, you know, I was a dad at that time, starting to go through a little middle age, like, hey, I'm not as lean as I was in my 20s. You know, what should I do, doc, you know, to lose some weight and get back in shape? And he's like, just run, but don't do it on the treadmill, run outside. He had told me just based upon the specific surgery. So I just remember going out in that uh, very cold early March day in Connecticut here and I did it. I'm like, it's really cold outside. But then I just like loved it and was like, wow, this is actually kind of neat to run outside. And, you know, just like most people's stories, it kind of went from, you know, hey, I'm doing this running thing. Maybe I should try a race. And then I did, you know, I know you're in Connecticut. You know, I did the New Haven road race, you know, on Labor Day. I did the 5K and was like, I finished, I don't know, like top 6% in my, you know, category. And I'm like, wow, okay, I think I did that pretty well. And, you know, decided to continue along the journey of trying to, you know, run a little faster and run longer and, you know, try 10Ks and half marathons. And, and then I wound up, you know, unfortunately getting some injuries and, and that's kind of the story of what, how my career path as a physical therapist uh, led down to really helping runners exclusively. That's a very common progression. I feel like for most adult runners, we're like, we do this thing and we're something, it's like this, you should go run. Sometimes it's a voice that tells us and sometimes it's a voice that comes from inside, like you should go for a run. 
like what, where did that come from? Um, and then you, you get kind of this really great taste of immediate success. Like, oh my God, I did this thing. And sometimes I did it really well. And I had no idea what to expect. Maybe I might be pretty good at this. I have no idea. And then we go all in and then something usually happens, right? The kind of the, the, the pink cloud, we fall off the pink cloud because we get injured or we overtrain or, you know, we burn out. And then it, I feel like that causes that, Hey, now I need to really reset my relationship with the sport. How can I make this something that I can do sustainably and well for decades to come? No, absolutely. And it is a matter of, and it, you know, it's so common. So many runners have that approach of, they take up running for exercise, right? Whether it's to lose weight, to get in shape and, you know, just being like a quote unquote gym rat, you know, that I was every time you're in the gym, you're hitting it hard, right? If you're not hitting it hard, what's the purpose of being there, right? You might as well just stay at home. So, you know, that was the mindset I had with running and it was a matter of doing too much too soon, um, going out there too hard that my tissues uh, weren't ready for. And I didn't know about run specific, like strengthening to kind of protect my body. Um, and the training principles, um, that I, that I've, uh, luckily now have, uh, learned, um, to kind of keep me healthy along the way now. I remember being a gym rat in my younger years as well. I mean, I used to think that the, the goal of cardio was to get your heart rate as high as possible for as long as possible. And I'd be on the elliptical yep. liking, Oh, I can average 180 on the elliptical. And now I'm thinking back going, Oh my God, like, right. <laughs> no, <laughs> slow down. Exactly. And that's, isn't that like the most common, you know, thing that you probably educate your runners on? And it, it is, you know, so common that we have that belief and, you know, people think that every run that they go out, you know, side that they need to feel like they did a workout in order to feel like accomplished. And you're like, no, because we're working different systems and we actually want you to run easy. And most of your runs should feel easy um, in order for you to actually get faster and in order for you to actually stay healthy so you can run consistently, um, you know, throughout the year. And one of the kind of traps I think a lot of runners fall into is that with so many things in running, good and bad, right, the progress that we make is pretty slow going. You know, you can do three, six months of training in one specific cycle and, you know, only get a little bit better, right? It takes a long time to see those really big gains sometimes. But just like on the flip side is that sometimes when you're causing damage that's going to result in an eventual injury, you know, it takes a while for it to actually show up. So yeah, you might run too hard on, you know, one of your runs and you're like, well, nothing bad. I didn't explode. Like nothing bad happened. Maybe it's not as bad as they're telling me it is. And I like it when I work hard and I like it when I sweat and feel really out of breath and fatigued. I'm going to keep doing that because it feels really good to me. But then over time, what you're doing is just increasing your risk of injury along with not properly developing your aerobic system. And today we're talking about plantar fasciitis as the injury du jour. Um, this is a really, really common running injury. Do you see this a lot in your practice? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, especially because for the most part, you know, the majority of runners I work with are in their 40s, you know, late 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And this is most common in distance runners and most common in this age range, which I unfortunately uh, or unfortunately fall right into the middle of. So I've had some personal experience myself uh, with this condition, but it is, yes, it is very common in runners. And I think probably the biggest thing that I could just share right now, if someone is listening to this, is that this is not a death sentence by any means. Um, this is not something that you will need to stop being a runner. Um, there are specific strategies to actually get this better and it will eventually go away. Um, but it does unfortunately take a little bit of time and patience um, in order to get to that point. But, you know, there is, there is hope and you don't need to stop running um, in order to get better from this condition. So what is plantar fasciitis? Yeah, so the plantar fascia is really a thick piece of connective tissue on the bottom of our foot. It's like kind of like a little web, web-like, and it really connects our heel bone, uh, your calcaneus in the back of your heel, to the front of your foot. And all of these ligaments serve a function, and the structure serves a function to really absorb shock, right? And it helps support our arch. 
So it, it really helps us actually run more efficiently because if we didn't have a plantar fascia, then our foot would totally collapse and it'd be all these bones in your foot. You have all these low bones and there would be no structure to them. And then we would have no force to propel off of and to run fast. So there is a kind of a function of the fascia. And it is unfortunately, you know, that this condition, it does get irritated if the load is too much for that fascia and you can get some irritation and some inflammation that usually becomes a more reoccurring um, instance where you get this kind of chronic um, plantar fasciotomy or plantar uh, fasciosis, I should say, uh, which is more the chronic condition versus like plantar fasciitis is the more, you know, common name that everyone refers to it as. So that's what I even refer to it as, even though most people do not actually have an active inflammatory reaction or process going on when they have heel pain. So I was going to ask you, where does this usually show up? Um, and what does it feel like? You know, if I were to walk into your clinic and point to somewhere on my foot and describe a sensation in a certain way, what does that usually look and, um, you know, sound like from a patient? Yeah. So this is very classic sign is, you know, you start noticing this right when you get up in the morning and you get out of bed and you go to take your first steps and you're like, Ooh, that feels a little stiff. Like, Ooh, my heel is sore or my arch is sore. And you know, you take your first couple of steps and it's like, Whoa, this is a little, a little hard to walk here as you go to the bathroom. And you know, then it eases up. And this can happen for, you know, a couple of days. It can happen for weeks. And then you start noticing that, you know what, when I'm sitting at work, you know, at my desk or I'm on like a bunch of meetings or I'm in a long meeting, I'm in a long car ride, you go to stand up and you start walking during the day and you're like, oh, there's that heel pain again. That's kind of weird. I've never felt that during the day. And then you wind up, you know, starting off your run and you're going for a run and you're like, oh man. Now my heel's hurting. And then you start, you know, running for literally 30 seconds to two minutes and you're like, oh, it's gone. So I don't need to worry about it. Out of sight, out of mind, right? That's kind of weird. And then most people just ignore that and they don't really think anything of it. And over time, if it isn't addressed, then you start feeling, you know, as you get to those long runs, you know, you'll have pain in the beginning of the run. It feels stiff. You have some pain and then it goes away. And then toward the end of your long run, whether, you know, you're training for a half and you're in double digit zone or you're training for your marathon and you're getting 14, 16, 18. And then it's like, oh, darn, there's that heel pain again. Ooh. And then you might even have some soreness after your run. So that's kind of the typical progression is it starts out of this very like, you know, you almost want to ignore it, ache or stiffness, and then it kind of progresses. But that classic first step in the morning is very, very classic sign um, that it will help you differentially diagnose that it is, in fact, um, plantar fasciitis. As an aside, I will say it's pretty amazing what us runners will suffer through as long as it's not impacting our ability to run. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure true. you get people all the time will come in and say like, well, I, you know, it's been this sharp stabbing pain, but when I run, it feels fine. And you're thinking, oh, come on, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And then as it, you know, progresses, people can feel like you just mentioned kind of more stabbing pain um, in their foot. And then they get more constant pain if they have a standing job. Like you see a lot of nurses, a lot of people who are working, you know, in factories or a lot of teachers who are standing, especially in harder floors, you know, the surfaces, the shoes may not be the best that they are standing in. Then they're really feeling it like all day long when they're standing. Um, so yeah, very good point that we can definitely ignore those things as long as it doesn't impact the run. And then it eventually gets to the point where it's like, oh man, I can't really run anymore. Maybe I should get this looked at. So talking about the general causes of plantar fasciitis in runners, you mentioned doing the differential diagnosis and that's basically saying, let's rule out other things that it could be. What are some other things that might look like plantar fasciitis, but aren't? just the really common ones? Yeah. So this is a um, good question because this pain is very classic that it is usually right underneath the heel toward the inside part 
where kind of that tissue inserts into that bone. Um, but some people can feel it more in the arch area. And the other differential diagnosis for arch pain in runners in particular is really the posterior tibial tendon and what we call posterior tibial tendonitis. That is one location that people who have issues with that tendon will feel pain in the arch. So that morning, first step in the morning is usually a, a nice uh, differential between those two. So that's going to be your most common. There are some rare, and I mean like super rare, like literally in my almost 20 year career now as a physical therapist um, that I've never seen is some nerve entrapments that can cause pain localized to the heel. But the other fairly, let's call it common, is this could be a nerve issue actually coming from the lumbar spine where a nerve is being pinched, even if you don't have lower back pain, your only symptom could be actual pain down at your heel. And, you know, a good examination and screening out like the lower back area and the lumbar spine can kind of differentiate that as well as, you know, actually poking around the structures of the foot and the fascia. That's why I always encourage people to go to a physical therapist. Don't doctor Google it <laughs> because you probably don't know enough to diagnose yourself. You need a professional to get involved to rule out all these other issues too. Yes. No, good point. Um, and, but this one is, it is fairly, there are a lot of like running, you know, um, common injuries in runners, let's say. And this one is one of those that it is, it is almost safe to say, you know, if you've kind of fit the profile of what I described before, um, you know, 98% chance that it's going to be plantar fasciitis. Yeah. When you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so you're a runner. I think we've established that. And when it comes to your health, your performance and longevity, you hold nothing back. You're listening to a podcast about plantar fasciitis for an hour. You're probably running while you do it. You understand what it means to push harder, to reach farther, to go the extra mile. And this relentless drive is something that's just inside you. It almost runs in your blood. And that's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build that strength, that speed, to focus on recovery, to optimize your health for the long haul. Because I hope that all of you are in this to run for the rest of your lives, just like me. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. This is one of the coolest things about Inside Tracker. It actually connects with your fitness app. It will upload your Garmin metrics right into the app and give you feedback and recommendations based on what you did today in your run in the context of your biomarkers that it already has. Let's face it, we're all busy and sometimes those post-run things can slide when we know that recovery is one of the most important things we can do for not only our health, but our progress, long-term development, and just general happiness. I like to feel good and recovery is a huge part of that. And for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store, 20% off everything that they have available. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash running explained. That's insidetracker.com forward slash running explained. So what is fascia? Because I think understanding what this tissue actually is will help people understand why the treatment timeline for this condition is longer than a different kind of soft tissue injury. Yeah, this is interesting. And uh, I like that you brought that up in terms of the type of structure with injuries. And in general, tendons in the body will take longer to heal versus like if someone just felt a muscle pull, right? You like strained your muscle and you were like doing some intervals and your hammy kind of cramped up on you and you felt a little minor pull and you like have this grade one hamstring strain, let's say that's going to heal a little bit faster. It's got good blood flow. Unfortunately, tendons, so the common ones like the Achilles, posterior tib, um, tendons for runners don't heal as well. And then fascia, like the plantar fascia and even the IT band in the knee, which is another common you know, injury that we see, does not have as much blood flow. So healing potential is a lot less um, as well as 
you know, the plantar fascia is very unique because it almost behaves like a tendon injury, even though it's not a true tendon. But we also have the Achilles tendon that connects to the back of the heel bone. And all of that fascia is kind of connected to the bottom of the foot plantar fascia. Um, So it does have some, you know, muscular fascial connections and almost behaves as like a soft tissue injury, if that makes sense. The human body is endlessly fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. So I I think when you Google plantar fasciitis, some of the common, you know, recommendations on the internet are, oh, get a lacrosse ball and roll out your arch or, you know, roll your foot with a frozen water bottle. As a physical therapist, what do you want people to do before they come to see you um, to help alleviate their symptoms or even a frontline at home treatment for this? Yeah, usually most people will go to the old ice. Um, I find that ice really doesn't do anything for this condition. Um, For the majority of folks that have plantar fasciitis, they will have some tightness of this tissue and They'll have tightness of the tissue as well as usually stiffness in the ankle joint itself, which could be a root cause of why they had this problem to begin with. Um, So that fascia that we were talking about before actually connects into our big toe, our great toe. And especially for folks who are limited in great toe extension, meaning like your big toe is basically going toward like the ceiling, which is super important for running, by the way, because we can't extend our toe then we can't get proper propulsion, push off, we're not as efficient. Um, If the fascia is tight and restricted in mobility, then that's going to limit that function. So actually a good starter for, you know, people just looking for some pain relief is actually doing the old rolling the fascia and whether or not we are deforming any tissues, there's, you can debate that a little bit. And I doubt we are deforming much of the tissues, to tell you the truth. I think we're affecting our neurophysiologic system and we're doing a little neuromodulation, we call it, with pain relief. So it will probably feel good. Um, you don't need to like kill yourself. You don't need to like, you know, pick the spikiest and hardest, you know, and then depending upon your pain levels, if you have a high tissue irritability and your pain's like a seven and an eight out of 10, you know, you don't need to like, you know, kill yourself trying to like roll this out thinking it's going to get better because you might just be irritating it, quite frankly. Um, so you just want to do what feels comfortable for you and tolerance, whether it is a lacrosse ball or every single pharmacy now makes these little foot rollers with the little knobs on them. Um, so those are, those are great. That's a nice effective strategy and doing some gentle stretching to the actual fascia where, you know, there's a very simple stretch to just actually improve the length of the fascia before you actually weight bear. So before you take that first step in the morning, simply cross your leg over your other leg and then take your foot and just bend your big toe back and just, you know, nice and gently getting some mobility with that will make a world of a difference. Like if you just literally implemented that one strategy and this has literally worked for over 10 years with clients I've helped with this condition is, you know, you're going to have a 50% reduction in pain. If you were consistent with that, like three to five times before you took that first step in the morning, um, that's going to reduce your pain levels by 50%. Because the reason why we have so much pain is because when we sleep, our feet are usually pointed downward and this puts the fascia in a shortened position. And so if you're there for six, seven, eight, nine hours, then you go to stand up and now this fascia is in a shortened position and now you're putting body weight through it. It kind of pulls on the bone, gets irritated and causes this, you know, repetitive kind of cycle of, oh, I feel pain. And now there's a little irritation um, where it connects to the bone. So if you can stretch that out before you put your weight on the foot, that will definitely decrease the irritation, decrease and try to break some of the cycle. Is that something you can do after you've been sitting for a while as well? Obviously in bed, it's really easy to just kind of, you know, sit up and, and, and do that stretch, but sitting down for hours at a time, that would help too, right? 
Absolutely. Yes, definitely. So yeah, for those that sit, you know, a lot during their workday, I always recommend stretch it out then. And then there's a nice, like simple way you can do it in standing where before you actually put your full weight on it, you can kind of do almost like in a little lunge position. And, you know, for all of, you know, any strategies that we talk about today too, is I'll give you a, you know, a link that you can share with your listeners for, you know, a freebie that, literally explains exactly kind of what we're talking about today. I have it all on a PDF with, you know, video links right to my YouTube channel of how to actually do these exercises. Perfect. I'll be linked in the show notes. People can go and, and click on that directly. I'm curious, is plantar fasciitis, is this usually something that happens in a runner on both sides or can it be one-sided? Yeah, it's usually starts out as one side, um, but it could definitely start getting symptoms on both sides. And it, it, again, is usually because that individual either, you know, starts compensating. Um, they're not training as they should because they wind up going into, you know, a lot of times when we get pain and it's not a runner's fault because they don't know, right. They're, they're not injury specialists. They feel pain and they're like, Oh, maybe I'm going to take, you know, two to four days off. And I'm just not going to run. I'm going to let this feel better. I'm going to let it heal. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to wait for my pain to go away. So then they feel a little bit better maybe these next couple of days. And then they're like, all right, let me go ahead and just go out there for my three miler easy run or four miles. And then they feel more pain. So they go through this cycle of kind of trying to run and then no running at all. And there's never an in-between. And that's really the key actually to this condition for runners is to actually not stop running. Um, it is extremely rare that I will ever tell a runner who has plantar fasciitis to stop running. Again, it's that scenario where they've gotten to the point where they literally have pain with walking during the day, not just like right when they get up you know, in the morning, but they're having pain walking during the day. They're telling me their pain levels are an eight out of 10. Then yes, we gotta let things calm down a little bit, the tissues, but for the majority of runners, if we actually just modify, you know, modify whether it's the speed work, you know, find out also what does aggravate it mostly. Is it the long runs? Is it the speed work? Um, or is it the slow and easy runs? And then modifying the plan accordingly and just keeping consistent with the running and being smart about how you're implementing your running. And then also working on the strategies that's actually going to get it better, whether it is mobility or stability and actually strengthening the small little muscles that we have on the bottom of our feet. So kind of danced around this a little bit, but here's the million dollar question. What causes this condition? Yeah. So I, I will tell you what doesn't cause it. It, what doesn't cause it is a bone spur. So a lot of, uh, people, I still hear this, um, you know, nowadays, which is absolutely, I find kind of crazy, but um, there will be some medical practitioners who will see someone who has heel pain, as we described, and they will take an x-ray and they will say, wow, look at that huge bone spur you have. No wonder you're in this pain. You know what? You have this bone spur. You can't run. There's no way you can run on this bone spur. Or you have this bone spur, so you really need to be careful like on what you do, or you need to get orthotics because look at this bone spur. We have to like take pressure off of this bone spur. Don't you see how big this is? Right? Like I still, and it, it, it kind of makes me mad almost to he still hear this, um, from clients that I work with, because what we know is the bone spur does not cause plantar fasciitis. The reason why people get bone spurs is just the natural pull of the fascia on that heel bone. And if someone goes through a bout of plantar fasciitis, yes, it is pulling more on the bone. So over time, that kind of repetitive cycle that I mentioned, every time you get up in the morning, there's a little bit of bone that your body is trying to heal itself, essentially. And it's just growing a little extra bone at the end of your calcaneus. And we know that this does not cause plantar fasciitis because we can take x-rays of normally healthy people who have never had plantar fasciitis and find bone spurs. And we can take people who have diagnosed bone spurs on x-rays who have plantar fasciitis and their pain goes away and they can run marathons. So it is not the bone spur that causes plantar fasciitis, but there are some kind of 
contributing factors. And what the research has shown is definitely um, BMI is actually one of the, the biggest risk factors. So if you do have a higher, you know, uh, BMI and you are overweight and, you know, that is a risk factor just because of the forces that are kind of coming down on the foot. And then we do see the extremes of foot types. So a lot of people think, you know, I have a flat foot, like, oh, that's why I have plantar fasciitis. Like, let me get an orthotic to fix my flat feet. People with high, super high arches, what we call the chandelier shakers, like, you know, you're walking around your hardwood, you know, floors and like everyone hears you coming, right? Or you could be like the pancake flat uh, person who's like, you know, sneaking up on people in their house like a ninja, right? Like no one hears them coming because they got like these super flat feet. But both of those extremes, if you're on those ends of the spectrum, you are more at risk for developing plantar fasciitis. Um, and then really mobility. And as I mentioned, kind of the toe mobility, as well as the ankle joint mobility, which is probably one of the keys, honestly, for runners. I am definitely not a big um, proponent of runners needing to stretch. Usually I'm telling most of my runners to actually stretch less, strengthen more. Um, but if there was one uh, muscle or area that you want to stretch as a runner from prevention purposes, is the ankle and like making sure your calf flexibility is good. Um, the longer muscle, the gastroc, as well as the soleus, but then also the joint itself that we need good ankle mobility, especially as runners who are running up inclines. So if you're running up a hill, your ankle needs a lot of flexibility in order to do that. And if it doesn't have that, then that's more stress and pull on the fascia on the bottom of your foot. It seems to me that when runners are presented with minor injuries or even just as new runners, we, they tend to have a lot of things thrown at them that help stabilize them, the orthotics, the stability shoes that then I'm thinking limit mobility in certain joints and that may compound the issue. So I think sometimes people think, oh, I have this issue. I must need stability shoes. And then something else pops up and sometimes limiting your foot, your ankle, whatever your joint is, what it's trying to do, limiting that range of motion, aside from just having poor mobility in general, that can also cause issues. Absolutely, Elizabeth. And this was something that I personally myself experienced um, as when I first graduated PT school, I actually started, you know, um, fitting for custom foot orthotics. I took a lot of continuing education courses and started doing that kind of on the side, um, working for a company besides my kind of full-time clinic gig. And I was in custom foot orthotics for over 10 years. And I can honestly say now, um, having gone through a whole process and I want to do make myself clear if someone is a runner who has been using orthotics for a really long time, um, there is a very slow kind of progression that you need to go through to wean yourself out of those. So I don't want you to just be like, oh, I just heard orthotics aren't good for me. Let me take this out of my shoe and let me go do my, you know, long run this weekend without orthotics because you are going to have pain because your body's not used to actually being in that position. Um, but I was in, you know, very rigid custom foot orthotics for 10 years running. When I started my running journey in custom foot orthotics, I, as a, you know, at the time, like 34 year old, I literally couldn't even separate my toes because my muscles didn't know how to function anymore because they were never functioning because I was always in orthotics during my workday standing, you know, working in a traditional clinic, um, running everything, working out, always in my orthotics. I had no muscle function and I had really stiff foot and ankle joints. So kind of, and this is where I kind of came to my whole epiphany on when I started, you know, my running journey and getting the common like PHT, proximal hamstring tendinopathy, runner's knee. And then I started getting plantar fasciitis that a lot of these common running injuries need to be treated differently than what the traditional, what I learned in PT school, quite frankly, um, was telling us to do in terms of let's decrease pain. Let's put some, you know, ice, e-stim, maybe do some massage and, you know, put an orthotic or put an e-brace on. Right. So I, I kind of learned this on my own and really went through a lot of these strategies, honestly, in myself recovering, even though I was a, you know, orthopedic specialist, like went through all, like I 
literally specialize in working with athletes, right? Like I should have known this better, but distance runners honestly are in a special category of athletes, especially as adults. Um, so younger, you know, cross country athletes, a little bit different, but as adults, there are definitely some unique needs. And one of these is kind of this point that you mentioned of kind of the more stability we have and the more kind of band-aids that we put on these injuries, it really does not put us in the best position for longevity as a runner because we are weakening other areas or tightening other areas that are going to be problems in the future. So the more stability, the more mobility that we have, and the more control we have over our bodies, and if we gradually increase our running and are patient enough to do that and not jump into something that our bodies aren't ready for and just, you know, the registration opens for your local marathon and you're like, I'm doing it this year because like I need to do it. And I haven't run a marathon in two years because of COVID and I need to go to this race, even though your body might not be ready for that. This is a kind of a topic shift, but I'm curious now thinking about the role that orthotics play. Um, Carbon plated shoes. I know that having, having read some of the research and the rundown on, on how running in a carbon plated shoe or a plated shoe can change our foot mechanics, there does seem to be an impact on how the big toe flexes or doesn't flex when running in a carbon plate shoe. And I'm just genuinely curious to know your thoughts on a shoe like this and um, when and if it should be used by a certain population. Yeah, great question. And we recommend this for all of our athletes that in order to actually use a carbon plated shoe, you must be doing some type of foot stability exercises as well as training on one leg, which is kind of our big kind of principle um, of having proper stability on one leg. Because yeah, absolutely. Like I run, you know, my race in carbon plated shoes and my speed work, it is tremendously different. And it does change your, you know, form a little bit. There are some that are more rigid than others where, like you had mentioned, it almost kind of propels you off where you may not extend your big toe as much. But then there are others that I think if someone had what we call hallux rigidus and actually have some real joint restriction in the big toe, that that force is probably going to irritate that big toe or if someone had a really bad bunion right? That force might irritate that bunion and cause more pain in that joint. Um, and I do think that it does cause some more force in the plantar fascia itself. So kind of the strategies that we're kind of talking about today are going to be really important from a preventative standpoint, if you are changing into carbon plated shoes and then always like anything really, right? We have to start slow and gradually work up. You don't want to just try them out for your 20 miler because you plan on wearing them for your marathon, right? You should have been doing them for, you know, testing the waters with some shorter stuff, with some faster work. And then yes, I do recommend always doing a long run, you know, with maybe some faster running if you're at that level in your carbon plated shoes that you plan on wearing for race day, uh, because they will feel different. And all of the brands do feel a lot different. Some are like super springy, some are like more foamy. Um, so you definitely want to try them. And I'm definitely not a big fan of someone wearing carbon plated shoes for all their runs. Like absolutely not. Um, just because I do think that it does limit your body's ability to adapt and withstand to the forces of natural running um, that you get without the plate. I, I mean, I'm not a PT, but I also will tell my athletes that and say, no, you, yes, if you want to use carbon plate shoes, you can, assuming they're appropriate for you, but no, you should not. They're not your daily trainers for a variety of reasons. They're just not your daily trainers. And I don't care how squishy they are. <laughs> they're not shoes you should wear for everyday runs. Yep. Agreed. All right. So we talked about generally what can cause plantar fasciitis. And we mentioned in reference previously that sometimes the path to being plantar fasciitis free can be a longer one. What is the general 
treatment plan? What can somebody expect? What might you focus on when somebody comes into your clinic with, let's say, moderate plantar fasciitis? Yeah, so kind of how I package the treatment for plantar fasciitis, if it's mild or moderate, I'm going to say, is really kind of the SPARK method. So it's like five actionable strategies. And I just use SPARK because it's so easy. I always use this acronym because it's five letters, right? So like the S in SPARK is stretching, which we've talked about before the first thing in the morning and then before your runs. So doing, and it's not so much like we're stretching, holding 30 seconds. It's more, I'm going to call it stretching slash mobility. And it's more allowing that tissue and that big toe to extend and be in a place that it may be when you're out on that hill. So now we've already somewhat loaded and deformed that tissue before you're putting body weight in it during a run. And now you're going up a hill and now your joints require that motion to be there. So stretching is number one. The P is for patience. Um, This is a condition that does take months, if not years, to fully, fully, fully go away where you've forgotten you ever even had plantar fasciitis. This is one of those that you won't feel it for days or weeks, but then when you start to uh, peak in your training, then you're going to get up after a really hard long run and you're going to take your steps out of bed in the morning and be like, oh boy, there it is again, right? But that's not a reason to panic. It's a reason to double down on the strategies that we're talking about today. So I always say patience because it is so many people want the quick fix, right? And you just want like, and they just jump around from, you know, whatever gadget or gizmo or medication is going to get rid of their pain because they think that's going to fix it. So I'm just telling you right now, I'm being completely honest, no matter who you see, what practitioner, what like it is going to take time and you need to have patience and you need to understand that, that that is totally normal for this specific condition. This one takes longer than runner's knee. This one usually even definitely takes longer than, you know, I would say IT band and a lot of the other even shin splints, right? Like this one takes a while. So just be ready for that and get your mindset in that, in that uh, mode. The A is activate your deep foot muscles. And I actually, this is an exercise I've been doing like forever. And like literally at the time that we're recording this, Elizabeth, I just finally uh, posted this to my YouTube channel. It's been like a long time in the making Um, is a great exercise. Like the best exercise that runners can do to activate their deep foot muscles is the short foot exercise. And it's not hard to do. It takes you literally probably a minute or two per foot before your runs. You do it barefoot. You do it on a hardwood surface, or if you have a textured mat, even better to kind of get the sensory. And we're really using our brain to actually activate these muscles that need to be used when now we're putting three to four to five times body weight during our run through. So we need to turn those muscles on first before the run and know how to actually activate those muscles. So that is huge is, and again, I shared with you my story and history of custom foot orthotics. I literally, it probably took me like two or three months to actually do this exercise. Like, and it it is just describing for people, it is taking your arch. Let's say you have like a flatter arch. It's creating a tent effect with your arch and you're raising your arch by not sticking something under it. You're actually using those small muscles underneath your foot to actually raise your arch. And the stronger those muscles are dynamically when we're running, you're going to have, it's like a built-in arch support, right? So you're not relying on something to push your foot up. You're actually activating and using the muscles that we all have. Some might be more atrophied than others. Mine were very atrophied, but I'm working on them and they're improving. So that is, that is a bonus. Um, so that's kind of the A is the activation. The um, R is resistance. And this is where most people stop. If, like, if you go to a traditional physical therapist, pretty much everything I just said, they're going to tell you the same thing. The resistance part, we might not get from a traditional physical therapist who doesn't work with a lot of runners, right? So now we need to add load through that tissue 
and actually strengthen it. So there are specific exercises that we can do that actually load the plantar fascia and not just stretch it. So this is where we can do kind of your toe is elevated as you do a calf raise, right? And we can add some resistance now through this tissue so it becomes more stronger and more resilient and it can tolerate the demands that running provides us. And then the K is kind of what I mentioned before. It's keep running. It's actually maintain your running fitness, maintain your overall fitness, because not only is it going to help you mentally recover from this injury, and even if you had this huge spike in pain and now you can't do the New York City Marathon because it's just not in the cards for you, right? You can actually stay running. So mentally, you can actually focus on getting healthy, implementing the strategies, and then physically, we know that these injuries actually get better when we stay active versus being sedentary. So the more active we are, the more blood flow to those tissues, and they actually heal. Movement is medicine, and they actually heal better. So those are kind of five quick kind of actionable strategies or like buckets that I really, you know, think about where the focus needs to be for, you know, plantar fasciitis specifically. I want to ask you about the the K, keep running. Because I, I think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes running with discomfort is something that runners are really scared of doing. They find it, you know, even if their pain or discomfort levels are relatively low, there is a huge like emotional factor of fear of, am I doing something wrong? Am I hurting myself by doing this? And I mean, and, that, and then it ends up in that cycle of just complete rest and then running with discomfort and then more rest than that we talked about we don't want to have happen. But I think it's really important to acknowledge that asking runners to run with some discomfort feels like they're doing something wrong sometimes. Yes, no, absolutely. And it it's a lot of education. And, you know, even if you're quote unquote healthy, right? We've all been there before, like running, there are certain days that you feel aches and pains. And we get this question all the time, you know, in our program is, you know, should I not run tomorrow? Like, you know, my knee, you know, started feeling some pain on the bottom of my knee or let's say foot, might as well keep it the same topic, right? Started feeling some, uh, you know, heel pain, you know, should I not run tomorrow? And then it's always, I ask follow-up questions on like, okay, this is the first time you're telling me about this, but has this, how long has this been going on for, right? Finding out how long has it been going on? What's the severity if we had to grade it on a scale from zero to 10? And I was actually listening uh, to one of your episodes that you had on recently um, with one of your guests. And I used a similar kind of, you know, green, yellow, red scale of like green is go, we can run. Yellow is, hey, we're modifying. Red is like, you know, no, we cannot run right now. And this is why. And with plantar fasciitis, like I said earlier, it's literally 99 times out of hundred, never in the red. Um, so it is always usually in the green or the yellow where we're just proceeding as we actually had planned on your running schedule and final surge. And, uh, yellow is maybe, Hey, you know what, let's take a mile or two off tomorrow's run. Or, you know what, we were planning on doing a tempo run. Let's turn it into an easy run. Let's see how you feel. And then if you're feeling good and you know, you're not feeling any of this, then you know what, let's do your tempo on Friday. Right. So it's kind of modifying, uh, their run plan accordingly, but then also implementing those specific like stretches, some of the rolling that we mentioned and, you know, the foot activation. Something I, I see a lot in the treatment of plantar fasciitis, and actually, I've get a weird, I got a lot of weird product pitches into my DMs when I'm like, "Please don't." I heard you say that. that. I yeah. heard you mention that in that other weird yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, but some of the more common ones I get are these injury prevention or injury treatment devices, and I, I got one recently about the the plantar fasciitis sleep sock. But like it was from a new one, somehow like the fibers are infused with God knows what, that's going to make it even better. But this does seem to be, and I want to ask you about this in your honest opinion, um, that this, that's this special sock contraption that then seems like it's, it keeps your plantar fascia in a more stretched position as you sleep because it keeps your foot, um, flexed upwards basically. And it pulls your big toe back while you sleep. What's your opinion on something like this? Yeah. So, um, great question. And 
those have been around forever. Like in the rehab world, the first company was probably like Straussburg. It was like the Straussburg sock. And now, you know, you will see a million different knockoffs as well as even just what we call night splints where it may or may not include the big toe, but even just keeping your ankle in more of a neutral position as opposed to it being, you know, in this pointed down position. Um, I, it's definitely not my first line of defense against this condition. Usually what I'll go to is what we talked about earlier is, okay, let's have you actually stretch it before you put weight on it. And like I said, literally 50% reduction in pain usually occurs with that. And we're able to proceed forward. I've had clients that say, Hey, I have one, you know, should I use it? I say, well, how does it feel when you use it? Um, some people cannot tolerate it whatsoever. So then I say, can you adjust it where it's not as much stretch? Cause it's actually what you're essentially doing is what we call low, low load, long duration stretch. But some people, sometimes it's too much of a stretch. So I actually tried it um, when I had this condition and I couldn't really tolerate it even on a little bit of a stretch. Like it's kind of really uncomfortable when you're hours, your foot's in that position. So, you know, I'll ask them if they feel okay with it, if they could tolerate it. I'll say, it's not going to hurt you. Like, sure, you have one already. Like, let's use it if you feel like it's helping you and you can tolerate it. It's not going to harm you by any means. Um, but it's usually honestly for all the runners I work with, with this condition, it's never something that I'm like, you have this type of plantar fasciitis. So I need you to get this sock in order for us to get you back to running without pain. Um, so again, it is more of that passive strategy and I am more about, you know, empowering my athletes to actually implement the things that are going to really make the biggest difference, um, in the long term, not just the short term. And that is something we talked about previously on this, on this show about passive versus active strategies and the theme of injury rehab is there is an active component to it. Like in an ideal world, yes, it'd be lovely if we could all just put on special socks and go to sleep and wake up and our you know, injury had been fixed, but that's not the way our, our bodies work, unfortunately. We put a little bit of elbow grease into this stuff sometimes. Yeah, do they have like special socks to like make us faster as runners as well? <laughs> I'm even thinking, I don't apply plantar fasciitis and the thought of wearing a sock like that, that just seems uncomfortable. Yeah, it, it is, it is, yeah. honestly. <laughs> Thinking up the chain and broadly speaking, if somebody is trying to, you know, prevent them or reduce their injury risk, their risk of injury of getting something like plantar fasciitis, what are some things that we can do in a prehab capacity to make it less likely that we'll experience an injury like plantar fasciitis? Yeah, great question. Um, the first of which, uh, is one that I mentioned earlier is making sure your calf flexibility is, is taken care of, um, that you don't have super tight calves. Um, and just make sure you're taking care of, of the calf muscles. They're used a lot when we run. Um, so whether it is your self, you know, release techniques, whether it's foam roller, massage gun, right? Lacrosse ball, whatever your soft tissue method of choice is, you know, make sure you're giving a little love to the calf muscles. Um, so that's the first, but then it's really a matter of strengthening the whole part of your leg that kind of connects down to the fascia, which is the back of your leg. So what we call the posterior chain. So, you know, if we're working our way up, we're looking at calf endurance. Um, all runners should at minimum be able to do 25 single leg calf raises with good speed and good control. Um, you'll be surprised how many of you probably, if you guys are listening to this during the run, don't like stop your run and do it, but maybe when you get home, like see if you can do 25 single leg calf raises on one leg, holding on for light balance, not leaning into the wall. Uh, you'll be surprised that a lot of you will not be able to do that. Uh, so really working on your calf muscle endurance and strength, and then the hamstrings is the next muscle group as we go above the knee. Um, so there are some great, great, what we call kind of eccentric hamstring exercises or working the hamstrings at the hip joint, as opposed to only at the knee joint, like your seated leg curl in the gym would do. Um, so there's some great run specific ones. You know, my personal favorite is the Nordic hamstring curl, um, that I think single-handedly le legitimately, uh, treats, uh, 
PHT, as I mentioned before, hamstring uh, tendon pain, which is very common in a lot of half marathoners and marathoners. Um, and I know it's something that we use for preventative purposes to prevent hamstring tendon pain. Um, and then the glutes, so the glute max. So we're really looking at all those muscles in that posterior chain kind of going up. The stronger the glutes, um, the more you're going to have propelling yourself forward um, in that plane. And it is going to trickle down the chain that there's going to be less stress on the plantar fascia and the bottom of your foot. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, it's pretty shocking that we can run as much as we can while having relatively poor single leg strength. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> the average runner. Yeah, I mean it's yes, true. I know. Running, running is just a series of of forward, you know, single leg forward hops. And you know, you ask somebody. I mean, I personally, I can't do a pistol squat. Like I am working on it. I am my goals to be able to get there. Um, and then I'm I'm shocked that I can go out and run the kind of mileage that I can, knowing that when I get home, I cannot do a body weight pistol squat. Yep. Yeah. No, one. it is very very common. <laughs> it is very common. And that is the key. Like if someone's never, you know, if you're listening to this and you know, your strength training looks like the traditional kind of boot camp style class where it's like squats, you know, lunges, deadlifts, and you're, everything's on like two legs and they're always on, you know, two legs at the same time. If you add in some single leg exercises, like that alone is going to make you feel so much more stable and stronger for your runs. Something I, I feel like I should have asked earlier because now it feels out of flow with the conversation. Um, talked about plantar fasciitis usually showing up on one side first before then maybe migrating to the other side. Often when runners have an injury appear on a single side, the assumption is, is that that is the side that is the weak side. But we know that's not necessarily the case with every injury. In plantar fasciitis, it, where does that, ha you know, which side, is it the problem side, right? Is it the weak side or the, or the strong side where plantar fasciitis tends to show up first? Yeah, it's a good question. I've never really, um, I, I would say for this condition, it is probably will show up on the weaker side, um, as opposed to the opposite side. Um, so with the opposite side stuff, it is usually more like outside of the hip pain or even like the IT band pain uh, on the outside of the knee. Like we tend to see more of those conditions in what we call like the frontal plane or kind of on the sides of the body. Um, as opposed to this condition, I, I really can't think of an instance where on the opposite side, if it was weak, then that's going to put more stress on, on, you know this side that someone's having plantar um, fasciitis on. So I would say it would be that same side. So we talk about targeting, you know, strengthening, mobilizing the side in plantar fasciitis. You would want to start with the side that the plantar fasciitis is on. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And that can be, I mean, that throws people for a loop sometimes when, you know, I've had my clients go to PT and get assessed and they'll say, they actually said that the side that this is happening on is my strong side, <laughs> not with plantar fasciitis, but with other types of injuries. And then, so their treatment plan looks completely different as, you know, treating the other side of their body versus the side where the injury is occurring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where, you know, as PTs, we're really good at picking people apart right? And um, finding all of the faults. And, you know, this is where um, I teach in a PT program as well. And, you know, our students, it's like, hey, if you had confidence going into PT school, like we're going to pick apart every little, you know, bit of your body and you're going to have like no self-confidence once you get out of, you know, and graduate. Um, but it's all a matter of does this relate to the main problem, right? So that's really where I kind of, like, I remember earlier in my career, it's kind of like I would assess everything and be like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But is this actually contributing to this specific problem? So that's really where I look at it in this kind of lens and then also relating it to running and the mechanics of running and the fascia, you know, for our conversation today, um, is this problem that I'm finding in this runner, is it pertinent to what they're experiencing and or is it going to create problems down the road or do we not need to focus on that, right? Like let's focus on and getting clarity on like what is going to actually move the needle. Sometimes when very well-meaning practitioners try to fix things that don't need to be fixed, the fixing causes more problems. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been there before. Yeah, absolutely. Early in my career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And yeah, we've, you know, most experienced clinicians will relate to that in some form or fashion. Um, but then definitely, you know, when we talk kind of running specific, you know, the biggest thing that I've learned in the last five years where I've really exclusively started working with runners and, you know, became a run coach myself because I wanted to learn more about the principles and training every, all the great content that you share on your podcast and your Instagram, um, you know, bio is really, I, I give less and less physical things to my runners who are battling injuries and I give more and more training principles and training fixes. And that's really like when I originally designed kind of my spark blueprint, like five tips to run, you know, strong and healthy, it was, you know, strengthening run specific muscles, doing jump training, plyometrics, like you mentioned, a series of hops from one foot to the other, um, training on one leg. We talked about that principle. So, and then soft tissue uh, care. So that's like four things that really are physical. And then there was only one training. The five, the fifth one was like train smart with proper progression. But like, if I were to redo that, like I would have literally made like four of them about like training flaws and, you know, common errors that runners make. And if they just fix those, that's why working with someone like yourself, who is a running coach is so valuable to staying healthy as a runner. Because if you take care of those, honestly, there's like some minor, minor physical things your body might need for preventative purposes. But if you actually train properly and smart with proper progression, you can prevent pretty much every single running related injury. One of the main reasons I, a lot of clients will come to, to me or to look for coaching is they're going through these cycles of injury and burnout, right? And they've gone to PT and it's nothing major, but like every time they kind of set out on their next training cycle, something always happens and they, you know, something sidelines them or they get through the training cycle and they're just totally wiped and burned out. And they're like, I can't figure out. Everybody keeps telling me consistency is the key. And I'm only capable of running six months, seven months out of the year. Cause the rest of the months, I'm just like recovering or, you know, totally wiped. And that's not normal. Right. So I, I love that you're saying like actually just proper training and making sure your training is appropriate for you, that it's periodized, that it's progressive, that it's mostly easy effort, that's going to go so far towards, a, you know, reducing your injury risk. You throw in some basic strength and mobility and like you're miles ahead of where most runners are out there on their own. Absolutely. And that's why I really passionately feel like literally anyone can run, right? Like I don't... I, again, you know, age difference here. Um, but my girls were like really into Ratatouille. I don't know if you know, Disney movie and like, uh, chef Gusto, anyone can cook, like anyone can run if they do it properly. Like you just mentioned, like if you're patient enough, like literally anyone can run because our bodies are amazing. They adapt, they adapt to whatever we do right? Like think about all the crazy feats and right. Like how are people able to run hundred milers? right? Like that seems ridiculous to me, right? Like I'm like, I can never run a hundred miler, but like, Hey, if that was really a goal of mine and like, I really wanted to do it. And I like allowed myself the proper progression to get there. Like the body can do it, right? It's been done before. Um, so it's just such a good point that it, it needs to be stressed is the training. It is not because most likely if you tuned into this episode, you probably had plantar fasciitis or foot pain, and you're looking for the quick fix, you're you're looking for the sock or the brace I'm going to tell you to get or the one exercise to do, um, the best thing I could tell you is listen to all of Elizabeth's other episodes on how to actually run and train properly so you don't get this in the future. And I will say, of course, while some people are perfectly content with the knowledge they get from podcasts and, and many of the wonderful free resources I know that I and other practitioners like you also put out. Sometimes we need a little bit more help, whether it's from a running coach or from a physical therapist. Um, and I, I love the work that you do and I want people to know how they can find you and follow you and work with you and learn from you personally. So tell us about the things that you offer and what you can do for runners. 
Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And if you're listening to this podcast, then um, you listen to podcasts. So I guess, you know, Healthy Runner podcast is um, a podcast that really we're dedicated to kind of getting stronger, running faster and becoming a lifelong injury free runner. Um, So I'm sure you will enjoy uh, that during a run and um, learn a lot. But we also have a community on Facebook uh, called Healthy Runner as well. And um, home base is sparkhealthyrunner.com as well as our YouTube channel. So you'll find over a thousand videos specifically for runners. Um, you get video versions of the podcast there, as well as like a lot of the exercises um, that I mentioned. I'm so in awe of anybody who has a YouTube channel because I know how much work it takes. I've I've like looked into do you know, starting a channel and being like, I can't, I don't have time for this. This is anybody who has one is just an absolute beast in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the only reason I did it in the beginning, Elizabeth, was because there were not great um exercises that I could give my clients. And once I started my business, I was like, I'm not giving them these sheets of you know people, whatever, or these videos that were like just standard. I was like, I need like specific exercises. Like I'm going to give runners. So I just literally started recording videos and just putting them up there. Like didn't know anything about YouTube, like, you know, the algorithms and stuff like that. I was like, I don't care. I just want to be able to give my client videos that I can like give them the link. And I know like, Hey, here's this exercise, do this, do this. Someone asked a question on our Facebook group. It's like, okay, what's the, you know, can you send me that seated stretch exercise for the plantar fascia? And then I know exactly where it is. I copy the link, send it to them. Here you go. Right. Like I did it honestly more for myself and to help like our community members and clients. And now it's kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, we should start to like, maybe learn a little bit more about YouTube and, you know, do this a little bit right. So it, it definitely has uh, some some work to continue to to develop, but it is it is definitely take some work, like you mentioned. Well, it's such a great resource too, because there's so many, you know, you Google and I do this too. And, you know, I develop, um, you know, putting together some routines for my clients and I, you know, sometimes it's not intuitive. Like, I don't know what that is. And I'll go look for a link and, you know, you get these weird like CrossFit style or like bodybuilders. And I'm like, they don't need, they don't need that version right, of this right. exercise. They need like the running version of this exercise. Right. So it's exactly. a fantastic resource. You have so many um, different videos available. Oh, well, thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us, for sharing your wisdom and knowledge on a really tricky subject. I know a very frustrating injury for a lot of people, Dr. Dwayne Scotty. I really appreciate you being here today. Well, this has been super fun. Um, It was so great to get to meet you after listening to a bunch of your episodes. And I just want to honestly thank you for what you do for the running community because you are mastering something that is not easy to do in terms of breaking down very complex um, principles and training and everything about running and providing it in such an easily digestible way for the general public. And that's just something as like medical practitioners we've always struggled with. And like, that's where, you know, my goal is as a medical practitioner, but just seeing like what you're doing from a coaching standpoint and just community education is so powerful. So yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. And I just love it as a resource. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I, you, we all understand kind of the, the foibles of trying to simplify complicated topics. Some, some are more successful than others, but I really appreciate that. I do try to make what I explain accessible to people, all, all different understandings of where they're coming from and their knowledge base and whether they're naive to science or have a basic understanding of, of the, uh, the human physiology. There's something for everybody. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, this I will. fun. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.